Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good afternoon to everyone on the East Coast, and in the Central Region of the United States. Um, good afternoon as well, and then... And the California area on the West Coast, um, I think, is around 11 o'clock right now. My name is Kennard Levy, or Levi Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. This program is for those who truly love all the words of God. In Matthew 4, verse 4, Yeshua, or Jesus, so Yeshua is his Hebrew name, he stated, that we must live by every inspired word of God. And he meant what he said, ladies and gentlemen. And for people to have a problem with that statement, you're going to have a problem listening to me on this program. I suggest you don't listen to me because I do the best I can to preach from every word of God and to live by every word of God. So if you don't believe that, that this program is not for you. However, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness is defined in the Bible as keeping the commandments of God in Psalm 119, verse 172, then this program is for you. Uh, That's one of the characteristics of a true believer, by the way, is hungering hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That's in Matthew chapter 5. Let's turn there. Matthew chapter 5. And let's see if I can find it here. In verse 6 of Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Righteousness, again, is defined in Psalm 119, verse 172, as all the commandments of Yah, or God, for they shall be filled. So this program is for people who truly hunger and thirst after righteousness. So anyway, after making that point, uh, we have some interesting and unfortunate news uh, that I must talk about today. Uh, I'm sure many of you, if you don't have your head in the sand, you understand that there's a humongous uh, Frankenstein-like storm that's going to hit the East Coast very soon here called Sandy. And for those who are listening to me that's in, in those areas, please listen to your authorities. Listen to them. That's God warning you through them to do what you need to do to protect yourself. God is still going to be merciful. He's always merciful. And he doesn't want any people to die unnecessarily. So, but we have to understand, if you read my article 
on the Merciful Service of God website. It's called God in Hurricanes. It's a good article to read right now uh, for those who are on the East Coast and for those who aren't on the East Coast. But anyway, I'm going to read a few um, segments, segments of the article. Uh, right here it says um, in Job 37, verses 11 to 13 in the Contemporary English Version, it says, Rain clouds filled with lightning appear at God's command, traveling across the sky to release their cargo, sometimes as punishment for sin, sometimes as kindness. And then in Job 36, verses 29 to 32, in the New American Standard Bible Version, Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thundering of his pavilion? Behold, he spreads his lightning about him, and he covers the depths of the sea. For by these he judges peoples, and he also gives food in abundance. So, we have to understand that hurricanes can be used for blessings, it can be used for cursings. And then in Amos 4, verse 6 to 11, most people don't understand that we have a God that, sure, he's merciful and, and, and he's He's kind and so forth, but he wants to be obeyed. Amos 4, verse 6 to 11, But in all your towns I have kept food from your teeth, and in all your places there has been need of bread, and still you have not come back to me, says the Lord. And this, this is the reason why he's allowing a worldwide famine, which is in his uh, Genesis right now, across the world right now. And I have kept back the rain from you. This is drought when it was still three months before the grain cutting. I sent rain on one town and kept it back from another. One part was rained on. The other part, there was no rain. Uh, there, uh, in the, um, what am I <laughs> Right, right here. Sent rain on one town and kept it back from another. One part was rained on, and the part where there was no rain became a waste. Sorry about that. Lost my track here. So two or three towns went wandering to one town looking for water and did not get enough. And still you have not come back to me, says the Lord. I have sent destruction on your fields by burning and disease to increase of your gardens, and your vine gardens, your fig trees, and your olive trees has been food for worms. And still, you have not come back to me. So I hope you, you see that the reason why he allows these things is to get you to come back to him to repent. That's what the gospel is about, to repent. Why should we repent? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Anyway, I have sent disease among you as it was in Egypt. I have put your young men to the sword and have taken away your horses. I have made the evil smell from your tents come up to your noses, and still you have not come back to me, says the Lord. I have sent destruction among you as when God sent destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a burning stick pulled out of the fire, and you still have not come back to me. So I'm just reading that to you to help you to understand that he is the one that is responsible for uh, these disasters, He's the one that causes these disasters. Isaiah 45, verse 7. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. And then Amos 3, verse 6. If there is calamity in the city, will the Lord have done it? So, if there is calamity in the, in the city, will not the Lord have done it? So that's important to understand that he is responsible for these events that occur. And we we have to understand that and accept that. I mean, we all, I hope anyway, understand that when your father punishes you, 
or your mother is for your own good. Well, we have an eternal father in the heavens that expects us to obey him as well. And the, all these punishments that we uh, experience is for our own good. You know, no one wants to feel any pain and so forth, but he has to do these things to get our attention. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 6 to 8, You will be punished by the Lord of hosts with thunder and earthquake and great noise, with storm and tempest, hurricanes. Uh, that's what tempest is. And the flame of devouring fire. The multitude of all the nations who fight against Ariel, Jerusalem, even all who fight against her and her fortress and distress her, shall be a dream as a night vision. So anyway, I just wanted to to show you again that he uses the weather to punish us. Because of sin, he also can use it for blessing. So we we have to understand that. And Isaiah 13, verse 11 says, I will punish the world for his evil and the wicked for their iniquity. It's all throughout the Bible as far as Yah's will to punish his children upon the earth because the majority of them don't obey the commandments, uh, which we're going to talk about here later on today, uh, the law of Moses, which many people believe is a separate law from the law of God, and I'm going to show you that it's not. So um, we need to be praying for the people on the East Coast. Uh, looks like this storm is according to, well, first of all, something happened before this storm that it, it, it's not surprising that the, the hurricane is coming because I know last year uh, there was some gay wedding on CNN and then after that there was a, a hurricane uh, coming to New York or in, in the New York area. But anyway, I don't know if many of you realize this, but on October 18, 2012 in New York, this is what happened. A divided federal appeals court a divided federal appeals court in Manhattan struck down the Defense of Marriage Act Thursday as unconstitutional. Joining an appeals court in Boston and rejecting the law that defines marriage as between a man and a woman. The Supreme Court is expected to take up the case in the next year. Now, I just read something uh, our current president, Obama, he told the MTV audience, he went to a show on MTV and stated that he's not going to try to turn over the... Uh, Defense and Marriage Act, he said, that's a state issue. So that's what he said. But you know how politicians are. They say one thing, they get votes, and then once they're elected, they do another. So, But we'll, we'll see what happens. Just like he, uh, before he got elected, he stated that uh, he believed that marriage was between a man and a woman. Now he states that it's okay for two people to uh, of the same sex to get married. So so you know, you have to be very careful about politicians. They they say one thing and do another, and especially now he wants to get elected, so he's going to say whatever he needs to say uh, to get elected. But anyway, I'm making that point, and this hurricane is coming into the area of New York and Boston, and these are the two, uh, I mean, Massachusetts and also uh, New York, these are the two states that voted down or nixed Defense of Marriage Act. So I think that's pretty interesting. Again, uh, God does not appreciate anyone that is endorsing uh, same-sex marriages uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, uh, that's a marriage is logically and biologically between a male and a female. You can't produce any babies without a male and a female. 
All right. So that that's that's common sense and let's turn to Matthew chapter nineteen for that common sense. Uh, Matthew chapter nineteen starting uh in verse one. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings and reading this in the King James Version, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea, which is the West Bank today, beyond Jordan. Verse 2, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. Verse 3, the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away or divorce his wife for every cause? Verse 4, and he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife. So obviously he's talking about a marriage in this context. And they twain should be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And that's somewhat of a prophecy, because that's what we're trying to do. Uh, we're trying to destroy the institution of marriage, uh, which Yeshua plainly has stated here in verse 5. And he said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife. That's obviously a marriage situation. And they shall be one flesh. So, he has to find marriage between a male and a female, not two females and two males. So, But I'm not going to get into uh, detail with this. I think it's pretty obvious, uh, if you believe all the words of the Bible, that uh, that is something that that behavior uh, of being gay is not something that he approves of. He does love gay people. He hopes they change and repent of their behavior. But he does not approve of the gay lifestyle, according to the Scriptures. That's if you want to believe the Scriptures and what they say. So anyway, uh, enough of that. Uh, getting back to uh, what's going on here in reference to this hurricane, please listen to your local authorities, and please, if you're living in this area, please do the best you can to prepare for it and also pray that y'all would have mercy. But he does allow these things to happen so that we would learn righteousness. Isaiah chapter 26 Isaiah chapter 26, beginning in verse 9. It says, With my soul have I desired thee in the night, yes. With my spirit within me I will seek thee early, for when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. So uh, that's a, a major reason why he allows these things to get us to think. Uh, most people don't seem to think about God unless there's something that's going to happen to them, some tragic event. Then they think about God, and that's just the way we are, and he knows that, and uh, he uses these things to wake us up to reality. And let me just read a little bit more information about this hurricane. It says, Hurricane Sandy expected a wallop the northeast on the 21st anniversary of the perfect storm. It says, Hurricane, this is on uh, watch.org website. Hurricane Sandy is expected to come ashore in the northeast USA on the 21st anniversary of the perfect storm. That record-setting storm devastated the New England coast as President H.W. Bush hosted the Madrid Conference from October 30th to November 1st, 1991. The perfect storm sent 30-foot ocean waves into Bush's Kennebunkport home as he was calling on Israel to give up the West Bank. <laughs> the Madrid Land for Peace Conference began the Israeli-Palestinian peace process. Hurricane Sandy is expected to disrupt the campaign and voting in a 2012 U.S. presidential election. Both major political parties have publicly endorsed two states on Israel's covenant land. Market Watch. The National Weather Service has labeled the hybrid that may result from the merging of the Hurricane Sandy 
and a Midwest snowstorm a Frankenstorm. When it hits, the storm could have truly scarily implications befitting the Halloween holiday it will coincide with. Every hurricane that has ever hit that area from last year's Hurricane Irene to the perfect storm in 1991, even the Long Island Express of 1938, would all rank below this storm should current models of the atmosphere pan out. That's a stunning conclusion, but one worth pondering, even though the storm's peak impacts won't be felt until Tuesday and there's still time for the models to shift. So, again, uh, we can pray that, that he has mercy, but, you know, Yah or God is going to do what he has to do to get our attention. So let's understand that. All right, so in reference to the economy, uh, the economic collapse, this is an excellent website. Uh, the website address is the economic collapse blog.com, the economic collapse blog.com. And it has a couple of um, articles I'm going to briefly read here. Uh, it says, uh, or small parts of it, the first one here, it says, Will the bottom fall out? 15 signs that layoffs and job losses are skyrocketing. It says, If you still have a good job, you might want to hold on to it very tightly because there are a whole bunch of signs that unemployment in the United States is about to start getting worse again. Over the past several weeks, a substantial number of large corporations have announced disappointing earnings for the third quarter. Many of those large corporations are also loaded up with huge amounts of debt. So what is the solution? Well, the favorite solution on Wall Street these days seems to, to be to lay off workers. In fact, it is almost turning into a feeding frenzy. Since September 1st, we have seen more job cuts announced than during any other two-month period since the start of 2010. These announcements represent future layoffs and job losses, which are not even showing up in the unemployment numbers yet. So needless to say, things don't look very promising for the end of 2012 or for the beginning of 2013. If this race to eliminate jobs becomes a stampede, we will see the bottom fall out of the un but we see the the bottom fall out of the employment market and you can click read more to read the rest of it. Here's another one. 37 facts about how cruel this economy has been to millions of desperate American families. Have you ever laid in bed awake at night with a knot in your stomach because you didn't know how your family was possibly going to make it through the next month financially? Have you never felt have you ever felt the, the desperation of not being able to provide the basic necessities for your family even though you tried as hard as you could? All over America tonight there are millions of desperate families that are being ripped apart by this economy. Yes, there is a poor in this country and this is a description of it. There aren't nearly enough jobs, and millions of Americans that actually do have jobs aren't making enough to even provide the basics for their families. When you have tried everything that you can think of and nothing works, it can be absolutely soul-crushing. Today, one of my regular readers explained that he was not going to be online for a while because his power had been turned off. That's sad. He has been out of work for quite a while, and eventually the money runs out. Have you ever been there? Yes, I have. <laughs> if you have ever experienced that moment, you know that it stays with you for the rest of your life. If you are single, if you are single, that is bad enough. But when you have to look into the eyes of your children and explain to them why there won't be any dinner tonight, why well, I've been blessed to not be in that situation, I, I would have to say that, and, uh, and I would say the only reason why 
uh, I've been blessed in that situation because I do the best I can to obey all the commandments of God in the Bible, and that is the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. But anyway, it says right here, if you are single, that is bad enough, but when you have to look into the eyes of your children and explain to them why there won't be any dinner tonight or why they have to move into a homeless shelter, it can feel like someone has driven a stake into your heart. In this article, you will find a lot of very shocking economic statistics. But please remember that behind each statistic are the tragic stories of millions of desperately hurting, desperately hurting American families. And see, this is what a lot of people turn their heads over. They don't want to hear of the reality of the poverty, even in this country and uh, in the rest of the world. And these are 37. I'm going to read some of these facts, but I'm not going to read all of them. It says, number one, one recent survey discovered that 40% of all Americans have 500 or less in savings. That's 40%, folks. <laughs> That's a lot. And it says of these Americans, they have 500 or less in savings. And then number two, a different recent survey found that 28% of all Americans do not have a single penny saved for emergencies. Number three, in the United States today, there are close to 10 million households that do not have a single bank account. That number has increased by about a million since 2009. So anyway, I'm not going to go on and on and on, but you get the drift, and uh, I implore you to read this article to find out what's really happening, but, you know, but, you know, God doesn't even consider you or anyone else righteous if you don't consider the cause of the poor. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 7, it states this, the righteous considereth the cause of the poor, but the wicked regards not to know it. <laughs> and so if you if you don't care about people that don't have what they need to survive, then how can you be a righteous person? You, you really aren't. And you're fooling yourself. This is one of the reasons why the Messiah is coming back. He hates uh, poverty, and he's going to end it. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 5, And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger. From his right and fear not me. That's how you fear the Lord by by caring about other people. And if you don't fear the Lord, then He's not going to do good to you. Uh, he's not going to do things that will bless you. Again, He wants to be obeyed, and He and He and He deserves to be obeyed. After all, He did create us. So so we have to understand that. And that is, unfortunately, traditional Christianity has taught that the law of Moses, which is the law of God, as I'm going to prove to you today, has been nailed to the cross. And that is a, 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 an incorrect teaching. And I'm going to prove that today. And that, that, That's been an incorrect teaching for years. Years. And... It's just unfortunate that people have been raised in their Protestant churches uh, to believe that God would just allow that to happen. But anyway, I want to, in Hebrews chapter 12, I want to make a point here. Because people don't understand this about 
God, why he allows things, why he allows weather disturbances, why he allows other kinds of things to happen. So, in Hebrews 12, verse 4, it states this, You have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Verse 5, and he's talking about the Messiah doing that. Verse 5, and you have, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you, as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. And many people, unfortunately, despise the chastening or the chastening of the Lord, and they faint when <laughs> they're rebuked of him. They don't like it. Verse six: For when, for whom the Lord loveth, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receives. Let me read this in another version here. Uh, Says uh, and says uh, for Adonai disciplines those he loves and whips everyone he accepts as a son. And then verse five. Also, you and this is going to complete Jewish Bible version. Verse five. Also, you have forgotten the counsel which speaks with you as sons. My son, don't despise the discipline of Adonai, which means the Lord in Hebrew, or become despondent when he corrects you. Verse six. For Adonai disciplines those he loves and whips everyone he accepts as a son. Verse seven. Regard your endurance as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son goes undisciplined by his father? So that's that's what's supposed to happen. <laughs> More so with the eternal perfect father. Verse 8. All legitimate sons undergo discipline. All legitimate sons undergo discipline. So if you don't, you're a, um, a manzer and not a son or a bastard. Verse 9. Uh, furthermore, we have physical fathers who discipline us and we respect them. How much more should we submit to our spiritual father and live? That's common sense, isn't it? But yet people, they don't want to embrace the fact that uh, he is a God of judgment and, and, and he, he has to punish you when you disobey him. Verse 10, for they discipline us only for a short time and only as best they could. He's talking about earthly fathers. But he, God, disciplines us in a way that provides genuine benefit to us and enables us to share in his holiness. Verse 11, now all discipline while it is happening does indeed seem painful, not enjoyable. What discipline do you know of that shouldn't be painful, folks? But for those who have been trained by it, it later produces its peaceful fruit, which is righteousness. So that's the reason why he does allows judgments and punishes us, because he wants us to become righteous, just like when a, a father spanks his kids. He's hoping that they will understand, they'll stop being rebellious and realize that they need to, to repent and, and, and to uh, practice righteousness, which is keeping the, the commandments of God. So I just wanted to make that point. Now, let's get to this famous scripture, or infamous scripture, uh, that is quoted frequently to try to prove that the law has been done away with, okay, Uh in Colossians 2, verse 14. But before I do that, a lot of people are mixed up on what the law of Moses is. Uh, people think the law of Moses is the sacrifices and offerings and the ceremonial law and all that. Okay, well, let's let's see what the Bible says. Uh, it gives a clear definition of what the law of Moses is. Let's turn to 1 Kings, chapter 2. 1 Kings, chapter 2. 1 Kings, chapter 2. Uh, starting in verse 3, I'm going to read this in the old King James Version. It's pretty clear. <laughs> now, I'm going to give you a little backdrop or context here. First Kings chapter 2, verse 1. Now the days of David drew near 
that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, so he commanded his son, so that's the context of this, verse 2, I go the way of all the earth, be thou strong therefore, and show thyself a man, and how do men show themselves men? Well, verse 3 tells us, and keep the charge of the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his statues, and his commandments, and his judgments, and his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses. Okay. Ding, ding, ding. Definition of the law of Moses. The law of Moses has the statutes, the commandments, the judgments, and the testimonies of God. That is the definition of the law of Moses. Again, the law of Moses has in it the statutes of God, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies. That's based on 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 3. Now, more proof. Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. Verse 2. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. Now, could you deal with that? Could you deal with someone preaching to you for six hours? Well, they did, and they didn't have a problem with it. Before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive. They weren't falling asleep. They were attentive. They were attentive unto the book of the law. And then, you know, Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, as many ministers do today. All right, so this is where we get the idea of preaching from. It's biblical. Uh, verse 8. Verse 8. So they read in the book, in the law of God. Now, right here you have scriptural proof that the law of Moses is being called the law of God. They're one and the same. And I'm going to quote a scripture to explain to you why it's called the law of Moses, even though it's a law of God. But Nehemiah 8, verse 8, so they read in the book in the law of God distinctively and gave the sense, gave them the ability to understand and caused them to understand the reading. So that's what Torah teachers like myself or ministers or preachers like myself do. That's our job. That's what I'm doing today to help you to understand what you probably don't understand, many of you listening to me, that the law of Moses is the law of God. And verse 8 tells you that. So they read in the book in the law of God, and, 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 and above, in the first couple of verses of the chapter, it was called the law of Moses. So the law of God and the law of Moses is synonymous. It's the same. Okay? And verse 18, verse 18. And also, day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read in the book of the law of God. Here we go again. So, summation of this. The book of the law of Moses, the law, the book of the law, the book of the law of God are one and the same. And there's scriptural evidence of this. 
and I just showed it to you. All right, now we know what the law of Moses is. It's the law of God. Now, let's understand why it was called the law of Moses in Second Chronicles chapter 34 and why it's still called today the law of Moses. Or the law of Moses, rather. I'm <laughs> sorry. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 30. I'm a little tired. Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 14. Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 14. And when they brought out the money that was bought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest bought or found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. All right, let me repeat that again. Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. So that's the reason why it's called the law of Moses because Moses gave the law of God. That's why Moses is associated with the law of God. That's why it's called the law of Mo- the law of Moses. It's not a separate law from the law of God. It is the law of God, and it's called the law of Moses because Moses had something to do with it. He was associated with it because he used him to give the law to the people. All right? So let's not get confused, and let's believe what the Scriptures say and take those Scriptures seriously. That's what we must do. Here's another clear scripture in uh, Nehemiah chapter 10, verse uh, verse 29. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 29. They clave to their brethren and nobles and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God. Here we go again, and this is even clearer. To walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes. Okay? So that's the reason why it's called the law of Moses, because, again, it was given by Moses, the servant of God. So I hope I've made that pretty clear to you, what the law of Moses is. All right? Now, let's get to the scripture that many people across the United States and around the world are very confused about. Colossians 2, verse 14. Colossians 2, verse 14. All right. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. Now, as soon as the word ordinances is there, many people think it's talking about the commandments. It's not. You have to look at the original word, Greek word that was used for this Word to understand what it's talking about. So Colossians 2 verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. The law of God is not against us. The only way it is against us is if we disobey it. I'm going to show that to you, okay, <laughs> which was contrary to us. The law of Moses, the law of God is not contrary to us. How can it be? And took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. All right, so anyway, Let's look this word up, and you need to have a concordance if you want to do real Bible study. So ordinances, what does this word mean? It means dogma. It means civil law, okay, outside of biblical law. That's what it means, ordinances. It's not talking about the commandments being nailed to the cross. Because in Matthew chapter 5, what did Yeshua state? 
Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to show you other scriptures, too, to prove my point. But anyway, Matthew chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 17. It says, Think not, and whenever God tells us not to do something, we do the opposite. Think not that I have come to destroy the law. So he did not come to nail the law to the cross. So obviously, just based on this scripture, that ordinances can't be talking about God's ordinances. It's talking about man's ordinance. Dogma, that's what that scripture means. Uh, verse 17, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. And, you know, Moses was a prophet. I don't know if you're aware of that or not, but Moses was a prophet. <laughs> okay. Uh, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill, to complete your understanding. It doesn't mean that he came to do it all for you. Verse 18, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law or the Torah to all be fulfilled. Okay, so let's understand that. Let's understand that uh, issue with the law. All right, so getting back to Colossians 2, verse 14, there's other scriptures that help explain what dogma means. Um, if And there's another scripture that is used, too, that people are confused about. Um, let me read what the Word Study Dictionary says about dogma. It says, opinion, conclusion. And that's a good one, opinion. <laughs> and when you look at the context of this chapter, uh, particularly um, at the beginning of this, In verse 8 of Colossians chapter 2. That's why you have to look in the context of what uh, a scripture is located to fully understand in a lot of cases. Colossians 2 verse 8. Beware that not any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So that's what this is about. It's talking about that. Uh, The traditions and and the handwriting of ordinances which were tradition-based. Uh, civil law based, not not focusing on the law of God. The law of God wasn't nailed to the cross. It wasn't nailed to the cross. So that that's what it's talking about. Let's turn to, um, it says right here in the word study, it says opinion, conclusion, ordinance, proposition, dogma, with the meaning of conclusion. So that's what it's talking about there. And then in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, the same word is used for decree. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And then in Acts 17, verse 7, whom Jason had received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. (laughs) Um, And then, of course, Ephesians 2, verse uh, 15. Let's turn there. All right, this is a famous scripture, too, that is misinterpreted. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 14. He is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall partition. It's talking about the temple structure again, and they had a, a section for the Gentiles, and it was separated from the other section. But what this is saying is that that middle wall partition has been torn down. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments now, in this case, it says commandments, okay, uh, and ordinances, okay, the commandments 
and ordinances. Again, that word dogma, for to make in himself a twain, one new man making peace. And it's talking about the things that were against the commandments of God. And when you go back to Colossians 2, verse 14, what was really nailed to the cross was the curse of the law, which is death. The death penalty was nailed to the cross. All right? And verse 16, and he that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by his cross, having slain the enmity, the hostility to not want to obey the commandments, that was nailed to the cross. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments and ordinances in the dogma and the things that were against the law of God, that's what was nailed to the cross. The law of God was not nailed to the cross, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so we have to understand that, and and for those who continue to believe that uh, you're believing error, and you, you need to repent of that, because that has uh, been preached for a long time now. It has been preached for a long time, and that is totally false, what has been preached about that. So, And there's another scripture I'm trying to find here that reveals that <laughs> the Sabbath was, was being it was, was kept even after he died on the cross. I'm trying to find it here in Luke. Here we go. In Luke chapter twenty three Right, this is after he died. But let me just, uh, yeah, Luke chapter 23, verse 54. And that day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew on. Verse 55 of Luke chapter 23. And the woman also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the, the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Shabbat or the Sabbath day according to the commandments. So what many ministers preach today, uh, when he died on the cross, all the commandments are gone, right? Well, they didn't obviously get the memo because uh, they, the followers of Yeshua, still continue to keep the Sabbath. So this is uh, one of many scriptures that you can prove that the Sabbath uh, still should be kept today by uh, his believers. So I hope I've explained in a very simple way uh, that the law of Moses is the law of God and that we should be keeping the commandments, folks. Uh, it's, it's as plain and simple as that. And and First John, First John chapter two, beginning in verse one. First John chapter two, verse one. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ to righteous. What is sin? What's the definition of sin? Many people don't know that. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, to understand what sin is. Whoever, 1 John 3, verse 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law of the Torah. For sin is the transgression of the law. All right, so let's go back to 1 John 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation or the covering, our atonement for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So 
here we go. Let's stop a minute here. He's telling us, John, who was really close to Jesus, for Yeshua, he's telling us that we should not sin. And yet, what is being preached? What has been preached for many years? Christianity. That there's no law for us to keep anymore. That uh, all the law is the law of Moses, which I prove to you today through the scriptures that the law of Moses is the law of God, that that was nailed to the cross. It was not nailed to the cross, folks. Anything that's against us, there's two things that were really nailed to the cross. Uh, Any tradition that's against his law was nailed to the cross. Second of all, the death penalty, the the, uh, judgment against mankind for Adam's sin which has been in each and every one of our DNA structure that we all die, was taken away. That penalty. That's why he had to die. And now we have an opportunity to reverse that process through the Holy Spirit. I explain it. I implore you, for those who are listening to me for the first time, uh, or you, you missed the Bible study from last week, please listen to the Bible study from last week, which is entitled, Why Did Jesus Die? You need to know that. You need to understand why he died. Not just for our sins, to take away our sins, but to help us keep the commandments through the Holy Spirit. That's why he died as well. But anyway, verse 3 of First John chapter 2. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So we have to com- uh, keep the commandments of God, folks, if we truly want to know him. Again, in 1 John 2, verse 3, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Verse 4, He that says, I know him, and keeps not his commandments is a liar. Do you want to be a liar? Then start keeping those commandments, folks. If you are listening to me today, and you didn't know this, well, he wants you to know it now. He's reaching out to you through me and through others who are teaching the truth. And he wants you to stop sinning, and he wants you to stop start. I mean, he wants you to start keeping his commandments. He that says, "I know him and keepeth not his commandments," is a liar, and the truth is not in him. What's the truth? Psalm one nineteen verse one forty two is the entire teachings and doctrines and law of God. First John two verse five. But whosoever keepeth his word. In him verily is the love of God perfected. Perfected. I know people don't like that word, but he's all about perfection, and he wants us to become perfect. But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. You have to keep his word. You've got to do something. Hereby know we that Hereby know we that we are in him. If you want to be in him spiritually, you have to keep his word. Verse 6, he that says he, this is a powerful one, so pay attention to this one. He that says he abides in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Yeshua walked every Shabbat to a Jewish synagogue. He sat down listened to the Torah readings. He preached on the Sabbath. He kept the holy days. He said in John chapter 15, verse 10, that he kept his father's commandments. And so should we. 
We should be keeping the Sabbath. We should be keeping the holy days. The whole world is going to be doing that, folks. And if God is revealing this information to you now through me and other Torah teachers or ministers, then you are required to start doing it also. All right? So you must take this serious. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. Verse 23 of Acts chapter 17. For as I passed and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. And that's what's being declared to you right now, this unknown God who you ignorantly worship. Many of you who have been taught that the law has been nailed to the cross, the law of God, which you thought was the law of Moses, which is the law of God. Verse 24, Acts chapter 17. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands. Verse 25, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and have determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Verse 27, that they should seek the Lord and if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. Verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. That is what he wants us all to be, his children. Verse 29. For then, for as much then, as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. Verse 30, And the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now, and this was written in the first century, folks. Pay attention. The first century. But now commands all men, all mankind everywhere to change, to repent, to turn back to God. Verse 31. Why? Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Righteousness is again the commandments. He's going to use the Torah, the teachings of God, to judge each and every one of us. I'm going to show that to you. Is in the, the the 20th chapter of Revelation, okay? By that man whom he has ordained, where he has given assurance unto all men, and that he has raised him from the dead. That's the reason why we better repent, because we're going to be judged. There is a God of judgment, and there's a prophecy in the Bible that says that we don't want to have anything to do with a God of judgment. 
We don't want to have anything to do with the God of judgment. Malachi chapter 2. And remember, the church is based on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's the reason why I quote out of the prophets. If you have a problem with that, that's just too bad. I'm going to quote out of the Bible and do what I'm supposed to do. Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Ye have worried the Lord with your words, yet you say, Wherein have we worried? When ye say, Everyone that does Evil is good in the sight of the Lord. That's what we're saying in this country. It's okay to be gay. It's okay to look at pornography. It's okay to steal. It's okay to lie. It's okay to when you're making a sale to say some half-truths. It's okay to do all those things. When you say everyone that does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them, or where is the God of judgment? Where is the God of judgment? Okay, you're going to get smart, Alec, with him. This is what he says in the next verse. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Yes, he will come to a built temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, messenger means angel, whom ye delight in, behold. And he's also called an angel. He is the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. That is Yeshua. Jesus, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 2, but who may abide the day of his coming? And this is talking about not his first coming, folks, his second coming. Some of this was applied for his first coming, but there's a dual fulfillment. Verse 2, but who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi. And purge them as gold and silver. That they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Offerings will be allowed again in the future. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old. And as in the former years. Because they will have the right attitude to give righteous offerings. I already read verse 5 to you about him coming to the swift judgment. Now, in Revelation chapter 20, and next week I'm going to talk about the great white throne judgment in a little more detail than this, but I'm just going to quote this scripture today to make my point that we are all going to be judged, folks, by uh, the law of Moses or the law of God because he's going to judge us in righteousness and righteousness is the commandments. And as I just read to you in 1 Kings 2, verse 3, part of what's in the law of God and the law of Moses is the commandments. All right, so Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. Books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. So in addition to other books that were open, there was another book open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
So not only angels will be cast into the lake of fire, also human beings who were found written in the book of life will be tossed into the lake of fire even after the millennium. Okay? After the thousand years, uh, when the great right throne judgment occurs, those people who are not found written in the book of life, which indicates out of all these people there will be some, I hope a majority, it appears that that's the case, uh, will be found written in the book of life. But it's going to be some that obviously are not going to be found written in the book of life, and they will be cast into the lake of fire. That is obvious and plain when you read these scriptures. So I'm going to talk about that next week in a little more detail about the great white throne judgment because many ministers have used this particular passage of scripture to say this is a judgment of the damned and it's not a judgment of the damned. It's not. It's a judgment of people uh, that did not know God, the majority of them not knowing God. Of course, some of them resurrected. They will be judged guilty uh based on 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 their knowledge or previous knowledge of him but uh, many of these people as you're going to find next week as I go through certain scriptures are going to be resurrected and they are maybe in a lukewarm state or uh they have not lived enough during their previous life to be judged whether or not they should be in the kingdom of God or not. And then and God is a righteous God. He's going to give them an opportunity to um, live a righteous way so that they can enter the kingdom of God. This is not the great right throne judgment. is not a judgment of damnation, as has been incorrectly taught for many years by many ministers. So I'm going to go over that next week. But we need to understand that we have a God that, desires to be obeyed, and uh, he wants us to obey him, folks. And then I think the uh, audio version of Malachi chapter 4 is a great way to end this program. So may God bless and keep you, and please listen to the audio version of Malachi chapter 4, and God willing, I'll be available to you next week. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.